Good morning. It's a blessing to be here this morning. Face to face in all his glory. We were down in um, Georgia this past week and laid to rest my wife's great-grandma, I believe she was 98, with a testimony of faithfulness to the Lord until the end. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, on, her, on her deathbed, they, um, they were all there and, and singing and spending a lot of time there with her. And they said she was, she was looking up past the ceiling. She was looking up into, into heaven, I believe, and she said something. They could barely understand her, but she could say something to the effect of, I finally found it. I finally found it. And then a little bit later, she said something about a city. So she was close. She, I believe, is face-to-face with, with the Redeemer. So anyway, this morning, I would like to talk about... Um, Something, the title of the message is, Are You Living as a Harlot? Are You Living as a Harlot? And I'd like to talk and base my reference out of the book of Hosea. So you could turn to Hosea this morning. I'm going to be doing something a little bit different. Um, Some of these prophets can be kind of hard to follow the, the story. And so I'm going to tell this story in my own words this morning, and we're going to be referencing um, scripture throughout and lessons we could learn. And so if I, if I get too far off from what you think is, is correct, uh, you can correct me afterwards. But, but the book of Hosea, I believe, is uh, I'm looking at the book of Hosea this morning as a book of a foreshadow picture. You know, a foreshadow in a story is where they give clues of something that will happen in the future. I believe Hosea is a foreshadow of Christ and us, Christ and the church. We are the church. So let's go ahead and pray before we get started. Lord, we come before you this morning and we thank you. I pray that you would guide my words and be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I got a lot to go through, so I'm going to go real quick. So just um, pay attention and we'll see if we can get through it. So. I believe it's important when you study a book that you know a little bit of the history about where Hosea was called to go. If we had time, we could um, could go to 2 Chronicles 9. You all know about King Solomon, and he died around the year 930 B.C., before Christ. Um, We could turn to 2 Chronicles 10, where Rehoboam, Solomon's son, took over his reign. And remember, the people came and said, Lighten our burdens, right? Our father was too, uh, your father was too grievous. Lighten our burdens. Remember, he took counsel from the elderly. He took counsel from the younger. And he took the counsel of the younger. And he said, um, remember what he said? He said, my father chastised you with whips, but I will with scorpions. So what happened? Well, Israel rebelled. They rebelled. And Jeroboam the first reigned over them. All right? And so now roughly about 150 years later, after this story took place, we still have a divided kingdom when the prophet Hosea was called. So here's a map. Hopefully you can see it. But here we have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. All right. 
And we know that Hosea, the prophet, was called to the northern kingdom of Israel. That's referenced about 80 times in the book of Hosea. So we're fairly sure that, that he did go to the northern kingdom, or at least that's where his, his, um, his calling was mainly to. So Hosea was called by God to go to Israel during a very prosperous time. If we, would, um, if we had time, we could turn to, to 2 Kings 14.25, where now King Jeroboam II, now that's not the one right after, this is you know generations after, but we have Jeroboam II, it says he was restoring the coast, and that means he was restoring the borders of the northern kingdom of Israel. It was a prosperous time. Uh, the verse after that, verse 26 says, but for the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter. And that word bitter means rebellious and disobedient against God. For there was not any shut up, nor any left, neither any helper for Israel. Hosea was called to the northern kingdom of Israel during a time when in chapter 4 of Hosea, we're not going to read it, but I'll go down through it. Chapter 4 of Hosea says the northern kingdom of Israel was a land where there was no truth. Okay? These are the people of God. No truth in the land, nor knowledge of God. No knowledge of God. God said he would reject them, for they had rejected the knowledge and law of God. The people were swearing, lying, killing, stealing, committing adultery. Bloodshed was rampant. The people were increased in wealth. God said he would change their glory into shame. The people had set their hearts on iniquity. Verse 11 says, wine had taken their heart away. The people had turned to idols. They were making allies with other empires and accepting their gods and idols. Uh, there's a verse that says, The staff declared to them, referencing the magic and demonic powers they were involved in. I'll just read Hosea 4, chapter, um, or chapter 4, verse um, 15. It says, Though thou, Israel, play the harlot, yet let not Judah offend, come, not ye unto Gilgal, neither go up into Beth Haven, nor swear the Lord liveth. For Israel slideth back, is as a backsliding heifer. Now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. And so God is saying that they no longer have, yes, they've you know, committed adultery against each other, but in a sense, they've done it against me. These are the people. These are the people of Israel. These are the people that God brought out of Egypt. You know, he opened the Red Sea for them. He led them by fire at night and a cloud during the day. He fed them from heaven. He sustained their life through the wilderness. He brought them to the promised land. And now this, no knowledge of God in the land. These are the people of God, or they're supposed to be anyway. I'll read you a quick verse in Genesis um, 17, 7. And this is God, you know, establishing promises with these people. I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations 
for everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. These are the people that have promises from God to sustain them forever, and yet they left everything. Again, in Exodus, um, you know, there's hundreds we could go to, but Exodus 6, 7 is another one. A promise, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be your God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God that bringeth you out from under the burdens of Egypt. These are the people God loved. These are the people that God desired to have relationship with. And yet, it says there was not even knowledge of God in the land. How did they stray so far? What happened? So God sends his prophet Hosea. That's where we get to Hosea. Hosea was the son of um, Beori, if I'm saying that right, I'm probably not. But um, his dad's name meant a well. And as we go down through Hosea, the names here are actually very um, important, the meaning of the names. Well, Hosea means salvation. All right, so if you kind of put those two together, his dad was a well. Um, Hosea means salvation. What is a well? A well brings life. It's life-giving, water. All right, so in Hosea 1.1, we read, The word of the Lord came unto Hosea. So we know this is not just Hosea's imagination he's coming up with. It's not something he just thought up, this message for the people. Um, he was called to warn them of the coming judgment and destruction that would come upon them if they did not repent. Hosea was just a man like you and me. Let's not forget that. He wasn't some, you know, superhuman. He was just a man just like you and me. And I'm sure it took a lot of courage to go to the land so deep in sin and wickedness and in prosperity. It's hard to tell somebody of judgment when everything's going so well. So like I said, I'd like to just kind of tell this story, and I'm going to kind of start and go in and out. We'll look at different verses. So I could just imagine Hosea, you know, out in the field seeking God, fasting and praying, and, you know, saying, God, what is it? I know you've called me to the northern kingdom of Israel, but what do you want me to say? What, what is your will, Lord? And in verse um, 2, God speaks to Hosea, and I think it probably came as a rather uh, shock to Hosea. And God said, Hosea, I want you to go out into the land, and the first thing I want you to do is marry a prostitute. Like, what? God, you want me to marry a prostitute? God, like I'm your prophet, supposed to be your messenger, and you want me to marry a prostitute? He's like, God, are you serious? And I believe this, you know, there's probably many reasons, but two reasons I picked is God said, I want you through this marriage with an unfaithful wife, Hosea will cause you to feel the pain in my heart. Hosea, I want you to know how much I love these people that have strayed from me. I love them so much when they turn their back on me it is like they have been unfaithful and committed adultery against me. And also, Hosea, I want your family to be a living example 
of what the people in the land have done to me. So Hosea 1, verse 3, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblahem, which received, conceived, and bare him a son. Right? Scandalous. This is scandalous. Gomer, the bottom of society, the bottom of the totem pole, you might say, the woman in the town that probably would never expect to get a husband, the town prostitute, a family, came from a family of prostitutes. What does Hosea do? Our, he goes into town, he marries her, and he loves her. He loves her as his wife. What does Gomer mean? Gomer means complete. And we'll come back to that later. So she bears him a son, and he names his son Jezreel. What does Jezreel mean? Jezreel means God sows. When you would sow seeds in those days, you know, they didn't have planters, but they would scatter them, right? They would scatter the seeds. I believe Jezreel was a, um, a foreshadow of that if they continued in their sin, God was going to scatter the house of Israel in judgment where he has a sheep without a shepherd. Um, if we had time, we could turn to, to 2 Kings because it goes through there and talks a little bit about um, he was going to avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and I will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And if we had time, we could study the, the prophets. You know, And he said to the... Um, I believe he said somewhere to the, the fourth generation, and it'd be interesting to study, we don't have time, but Jeroboam II, during Hosea's time, was the third king. So judgment was coming on the next generation. <clears throat> so time went on, and Gomer bare a daughter to Hosea this time. Now, I'm not even going to try to pronounce her name. I, um, I think I tried earlier, and, but um, her name means no mercy. This time he had a daughter. It says no mercy. And again, I, I'm having to skip a lot, but here in verse 7 it says, I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow nor sword nor by battles nor horse nor by horsemen. You know, Israel was headed for judgment, but God said... You know, he's going to save Judah, and he saved them here in, in 2 Kings 10 by, by the power of God. And, you know, that's just an encouragement to us that God will always have a remnant of people that are faithful to him, no matter how evil the world gets. So, Through all the prophets' warnings, all Hosea's warnings, Israel still did not repent, and Gomer had a third son, a uh, third child, second son, and his name meant not my people. So we see pretty clearly through Hosea's children's names the, the judgment that is coming if they didn't repent. So let's just take a moment and think about 
Hosea's life right now. Up to now, he has three children. Um, he, um, I'm sure, is doing a lot of preaching and prophesying to the people. You know, he's working. He has to support his family. He, he still has a harlot for a wife. And it appears somewhere between when Gomer had her children in chapter 3 that somewhere in there she left him completely. And, you know, this is, this is really, really sad. And this is, I believe, you know, in my story. My story remember, this is just my story um, that I kind of got out of Hosea. Is This is where Gomer or Hosea really starts to feel God's heart. You know, I could just imagine Hosea coming home from work or from preaching to the people and coming into his house, and his wife is gone. I can imagine the children are there, but his wife is not there. You know, supper time comes around, no Gomer, no wife. Bedtime comes, no wife. She's gone. You know, and I could just imagine as he's putting the children down to bed as the dark, cold thoughts come that his wife might not be back. And I could just see him as he lay down in bed that night, his heart in utter broken agony, crying out to God. Why, God? Why must I go through this? Here in my house, knowing my wife is out playing the harlot. So imagine him saying, God, I work hard to support my family. I love my wife. I preach your word. But God, this is too much. Why? And I could just hear God's voice coming. Hosea, you are feeling my pain. Hosea, you are feeling my pain when a child of God leaves. Hosea, the pain in your heart is the same pain in my heart. And that, I believe, is where Hosea felt the heart of God that God had for his people. Brothers, sisters, this is the pain that we cause in God's heart when we lose our first love to Him. When we lose our desire to seek God, when we set our Bibles aside in our prayer life, that's the way it hurts God. When greed and riches grip our heart, when we murder our family with anger, when we spread discord among the brethren, when we let the world creep into our hearts and our minds and lay aside our convictions, when we let our guards down and stop living pure 
and holy lives. You know, I have caused a lot of pain in God's heart. But you know, none of us are exempt. We all have caused pain in God's heart. Let's turn to Romans, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 says, 23, For we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, being, free, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If we turn over to chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, as one man sin entered the world, and death by sin so passed so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And in chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, each one of us deserve nothing but death. You know, Gomer, she, refused, she, she deserved to die. By the Jewish law, Hosea could have given her a bill of divorcement and had her stoned for committing adultery. But you know, that's not where the story stops. You know, in chapter 3, we see a beautiful story. And I believe God spake to Hosea again. And he said, Hosea, love your wife. And the Bible doesn't give a lot of detail Um. On, on how he bought her back. But I could just imagine Hosea walking through town, and in those days they would have auctions, and they would auction off slaves. And I can imagine him walking through town, and he's walking through the town square, and he looks up, and there he sees her, his wife, a prostitute. I can imagine she was probably beaten, she was probably bruised, she probably didn't look very attractive anymore, she probably was at the point of starvation and sick. And apparently nobody wanted her because he bought her for 15 pieces of silver and a homer barley and a half homer barley. And if you read in the Old Testament, the going rate of a slave was 30, 30 pieces of silver. But you know what? God said, Hosea, love your wife. And what did he do? He didn't have to buy her. It was his wife. But he paid and brought his wife home and nursed her back to health. That is unconditional love. You know, and if we're quite honest, every one of us are in Gomer's shoes. Like to read um, first. Colossians 6.20 says, Ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I forgot, when Hosea brought her home and was nursing her back to health, he actually says there in chapter 3 that he is going to continue to be faithful to her. Imagine that, telling his wife, Hosea telling his wife that had left him for other men, 
that had basically been a big scandal, had ruined his reputation. When he brought her back, he said, I'm going to continue to be faithful to you. And I know, I hope you're getting the, the picture. We don't, we're about out of time already, but how God, we have done that to God. And he continues over and over and over to, to accept us and to be faithful back to us. And um, I'll read John 3.17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In 1 Peter 2.24 it says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. You know, and this morning Jesus is just waiting to heal us. You know, Jesus has done everything he can do. He's given his life on the cross. You know, just like Hosea went and bought his unfaithful wife back. He gave his life. You know, Jesus didn't owe us anything. And he's just waiting. We have to turn our hearts to him. You know, and the Bible says that we are, what? The bride of Christ. You know, and it's just amazing the picture if we had time to, you know, study this out more thoroughly. How, you know, we in a sense have all played the harlot with God. We have all walked in disobedience. We have all sinned. We have all broken the law of God. In a sense, committed adultery against Him. And just realizing the pain that goes through God's heart. Even as children of God, when we fall. You know? There's, um, there's a whole other study you could do on, um, on, uh, on why we don't sin. You know, some try not to sin because they're afraid of the consequences. But some don't like to sin because it hurts God's heart. So I'd just like to um, go ahead and end here in a verse in Revelation 19. Let's turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19, starting in verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice. Wait, no. Sorry, Revelation 19, verse 7. Well, I have the wrong reference. No, that's right. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that kings should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Right blessed are those which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. So let's anticipate we are the bride of Christ. We are going to be, if we live faithful lives, at 
that marriage supper of the Lamb as we're united with the Holy God, the God who created us forever. But we must also remember that if we're going to live in sin or live in a way that breaks God's heart, you know, we could keep studying in the end of book Hosea, the Israelites were wiped out. The Syrians came in and completely wiped them out. And, you know, if we continue to live our life in a manner that breaks God's heart, we too are going to end up in an eternity in hell. So let's remember as we go through life, remember the book of Hosea. Remember that we are that Gomer. And that there was nothing we could do. She, there was nothing she could do when she was on auction. But Christ bought her. Or Hosea bought her. And Christ hath bought us and gave his life on the cross that we might have life. And life more abundantly. So, Lord bless you and thank you.